This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yari Walker is a Yupik native Alaskan. And I love these kinds of conversations because Yari and I don't know each other from a bar. So we've actually only exchanged a couple of text messages, a couple of emails, and... We just got on a podcast and started having a discussion. Where else can you do that in the world today? In that you don't know each other from bar, so it's never going to happen in person, but you can do it over the internet and just have a conversation about stuff that you're both interested in. Well, Yari is just a phenomenal storyteller. And I heard about her and watched some video about her and just was like, man, we need to get on the podcast. And she came to me because of a friend of Blood Origins that knows we're interested in good people coming on the podcast. So Charity, thank you so much for the introduction. Thank you for setting it up. So enjoy a typical, short, sharp, amazing conversation through the Blood Origins podcast. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. It's amazing, man. It's, you know, social media is a powerful thing, right, Yari? It really is. It connects people from all over the world. All over the world. And you are early morning. Well, not really early morning. 9 a.m., right? Yeah, it's 9 a.m. here in Alaska. 
Are you in Anchorage, Fairbanks, somewhere else? I am actually, I live in Anchorage, but I work in the Klutna, so it's just a 25-minute drive away. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know how much you know about us at Blood Origins, but we, and that's, again, the beautiful thing about these podcasts is that you don't really know much about the person you get to know and explore them in a in a in a dialogue and a discussion that really doesn't happen anywhere else in the world where can you just sort of like randomly meet someone invite them to speak to you over the internet and have a conversation right <laughs> yeah yep i yeah. think it's amazing yeah it is amazing and i what i love about it is that people reach out to me and they say to me you know who you need to speak to this person or you need to speak to that person Oh my. And a friend of a friend of the podcast charity has nothing. I don't even know if you know her or not, but she just cannot speak more highly of you, what you do, how you speak, everything. And she's like, "Man, you guys need to get together because I can guarantee you the conversation and discussion will be powerful." And so here we are. So so glad she connected us because I'm all about sharing and educating people from all over the world. I actually want to be an international traveler and be a speaker. I'm sure that, you know, anybody's dreams can become reality if you put enough hard work behind it, right? Yes. Well, Yari Walker, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. It is an absolute honor and privilege. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Yari, uh, for people who have no idea who you are, um, can you give a little bit of background of who you are, where you're from, what you do, that kind of stuff? Sure. I go by my Yupik name, or known as Eskimos. I'm originally from St. Lawrence. Why do you say Eskimos? Why do you say Eskimos in quotation marks? Um, I only use that word to educate people because traditionally that's not what we are. We never called ourselves Eskimos. I'm Yupi. So is that the same as Inuit, or is that different? Y- yeah, it it is practically the same. Yeah. And um, but I'm originally from Saint Lawrence Island, which is located in northwest Alaska, between mainland Alaska and Russia, but it's closer to Russia. And I'm originally from a small village called Sivunga, and my clan on my father's side were called Aymaramka, and my mother's clan is Iwagami. And both clans are still around today? Yes. And Yari, what do you do as a job, like, today? I work in recovery services because I do have my story. So I work with people in addiction and I actually take my Western degree in ancient Alaskan Native methods, integrate them into two, and do my job and work with uh, people in recovery. And I also practice uh, tribal healing or traditional healing. Yari, the, you said you're, you're part of your story. I assume recovery is a part of your story? Yep. I actually wrote a book about my, my experience. What's the book called? The book is called Behind the Dark Walls. Uh, The book is about my experience with domestic violence. And at one point, uh, when I first 
first moved to Anchorage, I was actually homeless for nearly a year. Um, because at the time when I first moved here, I asked myself, do I seek for help? Or am I going to run into other, another non-native therapist who's not going to understand me, my culture, or how to help me? So I chose not to get help when I first moved here. And um, without realizing it, I turned to alcohol for security, and it became a, a very big problem for me. I got charged with my first DUI in 2007. They charged me with a misdemeanor, misdemeanor with three-year probation. By the time my three-year probation was over, I got charged with my second DUI. And I got very lucky because had I gotten my second DUI during my three-year probation, I would have been charged with a felony. But I was charged with a misdemeanor, and I served time at Highland Mountain Correctional Center. I've been to treatment more than once. And that's what urged me after I sobered up on January 11, 2012. I've been sober since then. I uh, pursued my degree because I wanted to work with people like myself. What made you move to Anchorage? I assume you were in the tribal areas in your village. What made you move from the village to Anchorage? To get away from the abusive relationship. Oh, that makes sense. So That, that makes sense. So basically, I was fleeing. Mm. Is that still prevalent today? Uh, yes. It is actually all over the uh, world, you know. Uh, um, do you know about the history of boarding schools and the history yeah, of do, Alaska? Yeah, I do. That was crazy. Yeah. So Alaska Native people have the highest rates of domestic violence, sexual abuse, child abuse, alcoholism, homelessness, and... Um, a lot of it has to do with intergenerational and generational traumas from residential schools or boarding schools and also by the church. Mm -hmm. um, because when Sheldon Jackson came to Alaska in 1881, uh, he was sent up here by the federal government to introduce Alaska Native people to Western education and religion. But the federal government's intention was to erase our cultures. That was the plan. So when Sheldon Jackson came, he sent for the different denominations. And when they arrived, they were sent to different parts of Alaska. And when they went, when they went to the villages, the children were either forcefully taken away or some parents also willingly let their children go because they trusted the church. And when the children went to these boarding schools, lots of bad things happened to the children. They were forbidden to speak their languages. They were forbidden to practice their traditions, their cultures. They would be all forms of abuse by the school officials and by the church for uh, speaking our languages and practicing our cultures. Yeah. So that is why... Uh, we have the highest rates of suicide, domestic violence, all those things I just mentioned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yari, my introduction to you was a, a video. I watched you be interviewed. And 
I'll ask a question because I think this is the question. I don't think the interview asked this question, but what I got from what you said, this would be my question. Can you explain to us what kayak is? I'm saying it wrong. Kayak. 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 It's uh, deep in, in your, your throat. throat. Yeah, kayak. Uh, kayak is a watercraft used by our ancestors of the people of the Arctic Circumpolar. That's where the idea came from. So when a hunter makes his kayak, he uses his body measurements to make the frame. So hey. it would be custom made for himself. So he and, and he would use, uh, in traditional times, they use driftwood because in our areas we don't have trees. Yeah. So we they put but, driftwood together to yep, make the boats. Yep. They would cut it up, strip it up, and then steam it and bend it into shape and use that as a frame. And they would lash, uh, latch it together with sinew, which is ligaments from large animals. And then they would use mukshak, bearded seal, uh, bearded seal skin to cover the frame of the kayak. Mm -hmm. So that was used for uh, transportation. What is, I know that and part of the video that I watched, which is, was, was, which was mesmerizing is you, you talked about kayak, but you also talked about like the story, the story of man, right? The story of us. Can you tell me that story? That's so in our native cultures, we share stories to teach people how to be, how to live their lives. There's a word in the Central Yupik language called yu yarak, uh, and that translates into the way of the human being. And um, it, it basically teaches you how to live your life as a human being in harmony, practicing morals, uh, positive relationships with all things, all things alive, because we believe that everything is alive. For instance, uh, the rain is alive, the water is alive, the trees are alive. Uh, we believe that everything has a spirit. So with that story, we're teaching people how to treat the animals with respect and not to be wasteful and to share. Because those are some of our traditional values in our native culture. So it just teaches you how to be, how to live in harmony with the animals. How to utilize them with respect. <laughs> What's the story of the what the animals said about when humans first showed up? I'm going to share this whole story first. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. When Kiyanak first made Earth, when Creator first made Earth, he put the first you, the first human inside a kayak, in a kayak. The kayak washed up on the beach. The animals were curious. They pulled in the kayak, and inside they saw a creature. He was sleeping. And the caribou says, look at this creature. He's not going to survive. He's going to freeze to death. And the polar bear said, he can't hunt like us. He doesn't have claws or teeth like us. He's certainly not going to make it. And we're going to call him you. That's right. He's human. We must give ourselves to this human. Because without us, he won't be able to survive as long as he respects us. Eventually, the youth woke up. The animals looked at him and said, You are you. You're human. We have decided together as animals that we will give ourselves to you. But you must treat us with respect. 
You cannot take more than what you need. You must not waste, and you must share. Because without our fur, you'll freeze to death. Without our bones, you cannot make tools. Without our meat, you cannot eat. So as long as you respect us, we will give ourselves to you. With, being, with that being said, my oldest son, who just turned 36, which uh, I interviewed uh, two Christmases ago, I think it was, and I, uh, the question I asked my son was, what does whale hunting mean to you? And during the interview process, my son shared with me that he practices spirituality before, during, and after a hunt. So he shared with me that when he makes his harpoons, he uses his hands. He doesn't like to use modern-day tools because he wants to make his hunting tools the same way our ancestors made them by hand. And my son shared with me that when I make my tools, I take my time and I try to make them as beautiful as I can because the animals can see you, they can feel you, and they can hear you. And my hey. son said, when I make a harpoon for a seal, I speak to the spirit of the seal to let him know that my intention is well. And if I make a harpoon for a walrus, I speak to the spirit of the walrus to let him know that my intention is well. And if I make a harpoon for a bowhead whale, I speak to the spirit of the bowhead whale to let him know that my intention is well. Mm -hmm. And my son said, um, sometimes it takes him about a month to make a harpoon because he takes his time and puts good energy into that harpoon because it's true that we can feel each other's energies. Everything has an energy because it's alive. It has a spirit. So the animals can feel your energy. So one day they went out hunting, just he, his father, and his uncle, and they happened to spot a bowhead whale, but they were out by themselves. So his father got on the CB radio and announced that, hey, we spotted a whale and we need, we need some help over here. Because you can't harvest a whale alone. It's impossible. It takes mm -hmm. unity effort. You have to work together. But this, the whales stayed in their vicinity, so they decided to pursue it because they saw it as this whale has given itself to them. So mm -hmm. my son said, I started to pray, asking Creator to please allow us to harvest this whale without any complications. So the, my son harpooned a whale, and he said, the whale did not move even after I harpooned it, as if it gave itself to us. So the boat came back again, and he harpooned it again. The second time he harpooned it, the whale turned to its side. And my son said, the whale and him locked eyes. And he said, the whale spoke to me. Those of us who are gifted can hear everything communicate to us. We can hear the animals communicate to us. I asked hey. my son, what did the whale say to you? He said, the whale said to me, I am thankful to give myself to a deserving hunter. Thank you for taking care of your people. Thank you for taking care of your tools. I give myself to you. And my son said the whole time he was crying. So he harpooned the whale one more time. The third time he harpooned it, he killed it. And his uncle said, get on top of the whale. So my son got on, or got on top of the whale got on his knees, and he began to pray. And he was crying the whole time. And my son said, 
This is the closest I've ever felt to Creator. The moment he was sitting on top of that well on his knees. Holy and then spots. the rest of the boats came. Our people help each other. The first thing they do is they say a prayer to say, thank you to Creator for the gift of the well. They also thank the well for giving itself. Then they cut off the flukes of the well, tie our rope around the tail. All the boats come together. There's a really long rope, and all the boats tie uh, their boats to this rope because it's, you have to work together. So lots of boats tow the well slowly to shore ice. It's a beautiful sight to see when you see 15, 20, 25 boats working together, towing the whale to shore ice. It's a very powerful hey, sight hey. to see. Hey, hey. I have pictures of uh, those events that my son gave me. Yari, do you think that the connection, the ethical, spiritual, respectful connection is prevalent in... Native Alaskan culture? It is. Maybe, there... No, maybe that was a, a I'm throwing the question wrong. It, it, it's definitely a part of your culture. Is it prevalent today? Do people still yes, it... undertake that kind of respect? Yep, we practice that today. Our elders teach us that. My son also shared with me that what our people teach is when you're a whaling captain, it doesn't matter if you're a welling captain or you're president of some organization or company. Um, it's important to treat um, your crew members or your staff with a lot of respect and with love, never to shame them in front of others. And, and in my, where I come from, in my culture, we believe that all people are equal. There's no... There, uh, and to me, in this Western system, it causes a lot of inequality because you have the president, the vice president, you know, there's a, hi yeah, yeah. There's a hierarchy. And where I come from, we're all equal. So what I teach people is that the same thing my grandfather told me is that uh, everything is connected one way or another. And one of the most valuable connections is people to people because people cannot survive without each other. So with that being said, I teach people how to respect all mankind, whether this person is a janitor or a president, whether this person is a hunter or a liar or a lawyer, they should be treated with the same respect because all these people help make up a community. If we were to take <laughs> away every single janitor from across the United States, what does that look like? Go scrub the toilet yourself. Let's take mm -hmm. away all the bus drivers from across the U.S. How are you going to get from point A to point B? Let's take away every farmer from the United States. Go get your own food. You got to butcher it yourself. And it doesn't come packaged. So that's why it's so important to respect Everybody, no matter what kind of role they have in the community. So I make it a point. If I go to a public place like a mall or a store, if I see a janitor cleaning, I always say, thank you for keeping this place clean. And they always look yeah. at me with a smile. Because 
not very many people acknowledge them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Important role. Yari, what would you say to someone? Because obviously, in today's society, as you in modern society, there's things that are a little different. There are people there that would there are people out there that would say to you, listening to this, they would say, Yari, your people do not need to hunt whales anymore. They don't need to hunt seals. They don't need to hunt walruses. There's meat in the grocery store. You can get meat from the grocery store. You don't need to do that anymore. What would you say to them, Yari? I always respond in a positive and respectful way as the way my grandfather taught me because two wrongs don't make a right. So when things <laughs> like that, to me, I see it as an educational moment. That means I'm going to teach you something. So, for instance, my African-American husband, who's from North Carolina, when we first started dating, he questioned me. He was very upset. Why mm. do your people hunt for seeds? Why do you hunt for whales? Why don't you just buy your meat from the store, he said. And right. to me, I, I'm going to teach him the way my grandfather taught. So I looked at him and I said, well, I have some questions for you. Tell me, in the waters of New York City, are you going to find such animals as walruses? He said, no. In the lands of Miami, Florida, are you going to find moose there? He said, no. In Salt Lake City, Utah, are there caribou there? He said, no. In Los Angeles, California, are there polar bears? He said, no. Here in Alaska, in the northernmost city in the U.S., there's a town called Utkarabit. Are there kangaroos up there? He kind of giggled and he said no. And the last one I asked him was, here in Anchorage, have you ever seen a zebra roaming around? He said no. And I said, my point is, this is the way Earth was made. The human race did not choose any of these animals for themselves. They were chosen for us. So when Guillermo placed my people on St. Lawrence Island, he chose for my people seals, walrus, reindeer, all kinds of zebras, fish, and whales, and that's why we hunt for these animals. And it is a true fact that, especially in the wintertime, 90% of my people are unemployed. Hey. So what do we do to survive? We have to go, go get our own food. I have memories of growing up when we had no food on the table. Because the the food at the stores, because of freight, is ridiculous. One steak meat. I was going to buy a steak meat. I looked at the price and I thought, oh my gosh, one piece of steak meat. Literally $50 for one steak. How can people survive, survive there with no job? 90% of us with no jobs. And the prices like this at the stores are ridiculous like this. Gasoline, people complain about gasoline all the time. In my village, gasoline is almost $10 a gallon. It's very expensive out there. It's not cheap. You have to be rich to live out there. <laughs> it's, it's almost like they're denying a basic human right, right, Yari, when they ask those kinds of questions. Yep. They don't, if you don't understand it, Ask questions instead of judging us. Ask us questions. Why do you live this lifestyle? 
Mm-hmm. What's your intention? You know, people. Yeah, what about? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. People judge without knowing, without understanding. Mm-hmm. And Alaska Native people in the United States, we are the most regulated people in the U.S. We are also the only group of people, Alaska Natives and Native Americans, that have this federally issued ID card that shows your blood quantum, how much Native you are. We are the most regulated people in the U.S. Okay. Yari, what about the, um, and I'll just, I'll use polar bears as an example, because it's probably the one that everyone knows about. Someone would say, so you've answered that question like, you know, why do you stick with your traditional ways? Somebody would say, well, look, polar bears are going extinct, Yari. Well, you know, climate change is affecting polar bears. You guys shouldn't be hunting polar bears anymore because their population status is so small. Well, I know the answer biologically that that's untrue. There's probably more polar bears today than there's ever been. Uh, but what would you say? We don't harvest polar bears unless become unless they become a danger to the people in the village. Polar there's two types of animals that will track, hunt, and eat human. The polar bear is one of them. What's when the, the other one? It's hungry. It comes to the village. Guess what? Looking for people. Hey. So the first thing my people do is they try to scare the polar bear away. But if it keeps coming back and becomes a danger to the village, they have no choice but to kill it. It's either you hey, or hey. the polar bear. What's the other one that will kill you? The other one is the tiger. Oh, no tigers in Alaska, though. No, no tigers in Alaska. <laughs> cool. Um, but I assume, you know, any sort of human-wildlife conflict when it comes to polar bears, I assume if, there's, if there is one and it is taken, I'm assuming everything is utilized of that animal. Yep, it really is. We utilize everything as much as we possibly can. Who uses salmon skin? We make it into the leather. We do. Who uses hey. the bones of the animals? We do. Who uses the tendons? We do. Who uses the cardium of a large animal's heart? We do. Who uses the inner lining of an animal's stomach? We do. Who uses the inner lining of an animal's intestine? We do. Who uses the claws and the teeth? We do. Who uses the hides and the fat? We do. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's definitely a culture of sustainable use, right? Because... And so logically, there, there would be, it would be antithetical to your survival if you guys are like, well, we're just going to kill as much as we want because it's plenty there, but then there won't be much left for tomorrow or next year or mm-hmm. the next generation. That makes no sense. Why would, you know, people would say that, you know, again, that's another piece of rhetoric. Oh, you guys just, uh, you know, not, you're not using science. You're not using population data. You're just killing whatever you want. Well, not really. We have natural laws or traditional values, and one of them is the elders teach our hunters not to take more than what we need. You only take what you need. So that's what we practice. That's according to the teachings of the elders 
passed down through generations. Yeah. Yari, nobody can see you. I can see you. And you, you have distinct tattoos on your face. Mm-hmm. You have three lines in the middle of your mouth, and then you have two lines and two lines on the right, and two lines and two lines on the left. What, do they mean something? They must mean something. In my, in my native language, our tattoos are called tato. And I always say, gee, I wonder where the word tattoo came from. <laughs> but we've been practicing tattoos for, I don't know, generations, thousands of years. But these are... You guys do your, your native tattoos. Do you use like bones with some sort of dye? Yeah. Needles. We use seal bone needles in traditional times. But when the church came, they banned that practice. They took a yeah, lot yeah. of our traditions away. But one day I woke up and said, no church is going to stop me. And I went and got them done. You did but, those tattoos with seal bone needles? No. Because... Okay. By Time I wanted to get my tattoos, all our traditional tattoo artists have passed on. Yeah. So I went to a tattoo shop to get them done. <laughs> I went to a tattoo shop and drew them on a piece of paper, gave it to the tattoo artist and said, can you, you know, would you please put these on my, t- oh my gosh, tattoo artists get super excited to do traditional tattoos. They get super excited. Yeah. But today the knowledge is coming back. Um, we now have traditional tattoo artists uh, today that give traditional tattoos. Uh, some of it is poke style. Some of it is skin stitching right below the skin. Mm-hmm. And in traditional times, only women were allowed to be tattoo artists, not men. Men were not. Oh, interesting. Because women perfect their stitches, and some of our tattoos are done skin stitching. That's why it was only for... Sounds it incredibly was painful. Skin, skin stitching sounds incredibly painful. Yep. So this one means uh, womanhood. After okay. a girl had her first cycle, this would be her first tattoo. So it would be a common tattoo that you have there? Back in for women. traditional cultures it's, for women? It's making a strong comeback today. Yeah, interesting. Yari, do you hunt yourself? Used to before I moved to the city. <laughs> I used to go <laughs> hunt my dad and um, my first husband. We used to go hunting, fishing, and together. And I, those were one of my favorite memories is hey. bonding time with my father, learning from him, hunting for the animals, and learning how he by watching him, how he respects the animals and stuff. Mm, mm. So, I, and my dad has passed on since, but I have a lot of great memories of, of our hunting trips. But it sounds like your son is very much still in the hunting cult. All my sons are. How many sons do you have? I have five sons. Oh, my gosh. I have five sons. One of them... Um, the youngest one was raised in the city, and he's never been on a hunt before. But one day he said, he asked me, Mom, how come you don't teach me all our traditional values? I said, Son, I can teach you our traditional values by the word of mouth all day long, but you won't understand some of them until you experience it yourself. Hey. So if you want to learn and understand the values that come with the whale hunt, you need to go home and experience that yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it would be. It must be. I've seen I've seen videos of a whale hunt, like a community whale hunt, and it's pretty impressive. And then it's pretty impressive the animal, right? The animal and the amount of resource that comes off that animal. It's just unbelievable. The starkness of the blood on the white and the snow and the ice. It's just oh my gosh. Ooh. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, Yari, if people are interested in hearing more about your story and sort of stories of, you know, York, you know, I, did you say your clan was, you didn't say your clan was Yupik, but you said you are, you are Yupik, right? Yupik, and I'm also in Yupik. Okay. And, uh, but my clan is Aymaramka, we're patrilineal, so our children are born to our father's side. My mother, hey. my mother's clan is Kiwahami. Okay. If people are interested, where else, where can they find more about what you do? Maybe where we can find your book. Remind everyone, what's the book's title again? It's called Behind the Dark Walls. Behind the Dark Walls, and it's available? People can buy it? I don't sell it anymore. Oh, everyone's going to be pissed off at me. <laughs> we want to find the book. I use it. I use it for a resource now uh, for people okay. to read it. I actually um, send it to people for free now. Okay. Well, where can people reach out to you if they if they want to find more information about you? Was there you mentioned some interviews with your with your son? Where can they find stuff about you? Um, they can email me or call or text me. My email is no, my Yeah, get, let's put your email out there. Not let's not put your number out there. Okay. okay, my email address is masinka2 at gmail.com. M as in Michael, M as in Michael, A, S as in Sam, I, N as in Nick, G, K, A, the number two at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, the, I just, the story again, going back to what you started, you know, sort of brought us in the story of Yuk and him in the, in the, and I'm going to mess it up. I apologize. I haven't, you know, only been speaking, trying to speak bits and pieces of, of Inuit for 35 minutes, but the Kayuk, uh, and that story was, when I, when I watched you tell it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an amazing little story. Um, and I appreciate you retelling it on this podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad you invited me to share today. Well, Yari, thank you. I really appreciate you. And um, if there's anything we could do to help you, please let us know, okay? Thank you. Have a good day. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.